Amen. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me this morning to the book of Leviticus, chapter 6. Leviticus, chapter 6. Remember a number of years ago, uh, walking through Arlington National Cemetery with a buddy of mine from Bible College. Uh, He lived nearby in Virginia, and I was at the time on my way to Cuba, stayed at his house. I was flying out of Washington, D.C. to go there, and he said, you want to take a trip into D.C.? And I said, sure. I had only driven through the city, had not ever really stopped anywhere, and we chose Arlington National Cemetery to go and to uh, just to see. And if you've never been to Washington, D.C., and you get the opportunity to go, there's a lot you could see. Sure, you could walk by the White House. You could walk by Capitol Hill. You could go to a number of places, the Washington Monument, the mall uh, that's there. But uh, Arlington National Cemetery, I think, has probably the most powerful effect upon an individual because you go through and, of course, acres and acres of land, you see those who have fallen in service for the country. Uh, There is a president that is buried there, President John F. Kennedy. After he was assassinated, it was decided upon by his family uh, that he should not be buried at the family plot in Brookline, Massachusetts, but instead should be laid to rest in Arlington National Cemetery. And his wife said, just in a very short statement, said he belongs to the people. And countless people have gone by to see where John F. Kennedy lay in in his final resting place. But there is something there, and it's interesting uh, to note that uh, his wife, Jackie, came up with the idea of what's called the eternal flame. Has anybody ever heard of the eternal flame? The eternal flame was to be lit during the funeral service, and since 1963, that flame has not gone out. It has burned continuously, thanks to a little bit of propane, by, and at the time, the Washington, D.C. gas company, uh, which helped make it possible But that flame burns on. It continues to burn because there is a source that is continuously feeding it. I walked by it. I stood there and looked. And it was a sight to behold just to know there was one of our presidents, one who was for all intents and purposes loved by so many and his life cut short, his term cut short in office. Uh, the tragic circumstances that around, surrounded his assassination in Dallas. But as you walk by in Arlington National Cemetery, you're struck by this flame. In realizing the fact that it has not gone out since the time it was lit. The question that I want to ask you today is what about the flame in your life that God lit at an altar one day? What? has happened to that fire. There are times in our lives where we go through various circumstances and problems and difficulties, and there are a number of things that can occur in our lives that create a certain amount of spiritual disillusionment. 
We become distracted by things in life to the point where all of a sudden the fire of God that should be on the inside of us begins to die out just a little bit. You see, we have a source that is constant. We have somebody that is always, always ready and available to supply us with the spiritual fervor, with the spiritual desire, with the spiritual ability, with what it is that we need to serve God to the best that we know how. There is always a source ready to feed our lives. The question is, is is there anything getting in there to kind of block that source? There, we have a stove downstairs in, uh, on a Tuesday night. Uh, it typically, for some reason, it seems to be Tuesday nights. You know, someone will walk in here, whether it's me or a couple of times, been Lynette or Candace, they come in a little bit early and they're hit with the smell of gas. Thank God for the gas company who puts the odor in it because natural gas, as you know, has no odor. That odor that you smell is put there for a purpose and it's on purpose. But all of a sudden that odor hits and we know what's happened. There's a pilot light that's out in one of the stoves. We have to go down. We have to light the pilot light again. There is something, some problem with that source. Something that causes that pilot to go out. There is some kind of a blockage there. Things get in and get in the way and there's not enough of the fuel that comes to it. And brothers and sisters, I want us to take a good look at our own lives this morning. We shouldn't be looking across the aisle. We shouldn't be, you know, kind of nudging our neighbor saying, you know, this one's really for you. No, this is something for each and every one of us today to take inventory of our lives and see if there is anything within us that is blocking that eternal flame from burning from within. Because I'm here to let you know today that God's desire for you is for you to be on fire for Him. He wants to supply you with a ready supply of what you need to be a fireball for the kingdom of God. We need the fire of God. Leviticus chapter 6. Starting at verses nine, starting at verse nine and reading down through to verse thirteen. The Bible says this. If you read the book of Leviticus, you will find that in this wonderful book, it deals a lot with the priesthood and deals very much so with uh, the rules and regulations of the ministry of the priesthood. And you might say, well, you could could compare that to the, the ministry of a pastor, a prophet, evangelist, teacher, all of those ministries. And pastor really has nothing to do with us today. No, I'm here to let you know it does have something to do with each and every one of us. In fact, you read the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is almost like a New Testament commentary on the book of Leviticus. Leviticus, it gives us, us uh, a picture of Christ in shadow and in type. In the New Testament, we find that Christ is the fulfillment of all of the sacrifices, all of the things, the priesthood that we see that is there. And you will find reference back to the book of Leviticus as you read through the book of Hebrews. But today, this is for all of us today. It's for all of us to be concerned about. And we need to read this passage. The Bible says, give Aaron and his sons this command. These are the regulations for the burnt offering. The burnt offering is to remain on the altar hearth throughout the night till morning. Notice this. 
And the fire must be kept burning on the altar. The priest shall then put on his linen clothes with linen undergarments next to his body and shall remove the ashes of the burnt offering that the fire has consumed on the altar and place them beside the altar. Then he is to take off these clothes and put on others and carry the ashes outside the camp to a place that is ceremonially clean. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. Notice that verse. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning, the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. We see in this passage repeated multiple times The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. Verse 13 says, it must not go out. Brothers and sisters, my question to you today is simple. Is the fire of your life out? Or is it beginning to die out? And today we have to get back to the place where God says to each one of us, you need to come to me and I will provide a source that will keep the fire of your, your life burning, the Holy Spirit to be poured out in your life once again, brothers and sisters, ought to be our prayer. Lord, let the fire of God consume us. Some of us, we've become so distracted by problems in life and difficulties and everything else that we forget that God has laid His hand upon our lives for a specific purpose and for a specific reason. God did not call you to take up space in a pew, though I'm thankful that you are this morning. He called you to be infinitely more than that and the only way that it can happen is if the fire of God is kept burning in your life. So where did the fire come from? Where did it come from? Verse 24 of Leviticus 9. Turn over just three chapters over. Leviticus 9 and verse 24. The Bible says this. Fire came down from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. Notice that. Fire came out from where? The presence of the Lord. It wasn't a man-made fire. The fire was divinely lit. They could have lit the fire. The people of Israel could have just said, well, all right, let's, you know, let's, let's strike a match. Let's light our fire. We've got torches burning. Let's, let's go ahead and let's light the fire on the altar. No. 
God said, put the, put the, put the offering on the, on the altar. And the Bible says that fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering. At that moment, God divinely lit the fire. Listen, there are churches all over America today that are operating on man-made fire. They're trying to whip a frenzy. They're trying to work people up. Listen, I realize today that I might get a little excited when I preach. I'm not trying to whip you up. I'm trying to get a message across so that we will plug into God and we will get into that source that, that will consume us and give us what we need to be able to live a life that is pleasing to God. It was a divinely lit fire. God divinely stepped in and he sent fire from heaven and consumed the sacrifices. And until God does this in all of our hearts, brothers and sisters, the claims of Christianity will be nothing more than a great cause. We need it to be more than a great cause. It must be something that moves us even in our hour of difficulty. Listen, when the fire of God is present in your life, difficulties can come your way, problems can come your way, but it's not going to pull you off course. It's not going to take your eyes off Christ. It's not going to cause you to crumble, but instead it's going to give you the strength. It's going to refine you. It's going to bring you through in your hour of affliction if you will plug in to that divinely lit fire. God has something special for your life, but you've got to plug in to get it. You've got to get into the Lord. You've got to reach out to him and say, Lord, I need more of you. I need more of you. I need you in my life more than anything else in life. I've got to have and get a hold of you. I need your power. I need your fire in my life. Listen, brothers and sisters, if we can get a hold of this, get it into our hearts today and get it into our spirits, we're not going to walk around with heads that are hanging low. Instead, we will begin to look up. We've got to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. Keep our eyes on him because that is where the fire comes from. Now, what does a divinely lit fire prove? What does it prove? Well, it shows this, that it was and it still is a holy fire. This fire ignites people to live lives that are holy in an unholy world. It ignites you to live in a manner that is pleasing to God when everybody else says that's narrow, that's ridiculous, and you're going to have no fun doing it. It's an amazing thing. The world is all about fun. And it's all about accumulating as much as they possibly can accumulate. Can we get off that now? Can we in the church somehow get our heads in the game and say, when you die, you can't put it in there with you. And not only can you not put it in there with you, what good does it do to say, well, but I had all this kind of fun. I'm amazed at how many people, they make it about the fun, and most of them don't remember the fun that they had. Why? Because it's been as a result of some kind of intoxication, some kind of drug or something that has been put into their system. They get on the other side of it. They don't even remember what they did. They don't even know if they had fun. They can't say for sure. They think it was, but they don't really know. 
I'm here to let you know, brothers and sisters, there is no fun quite like serving Jesus. You say, but wait a minute, I'm going to have problems, I'm going to have difficulties, and I've got them today. You're talking to me like that's fun? No, I'm not saying that the problems and difficulties are fun. I am saying that when you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, he's going to give you a smile in the midst of your difficulty. When the fire of God is burning in your life, he's going to keep you looking at him in the midst of your pain and your sorrow and your frustration, only to find that he's in charge and it's going to put hope in your heart, something that's desperately missing in the hearts of individuals. It was and still is a holy fire. It gives you the power to be able to stand against all that the world and the enemy will throw against you. It gives you the ability to stand. When that fire takes hold in your heart, there are some things in your life that God will begin to accomplish. And it's this. The fire of God will cause you to set aside your hopes and dreams for what God wants you to do. You see, we've got it all figured out, and that's our problem. We've got it all figured out how it's supposed to be. When God's got a better plan in store for us. You see, the Bible lets us know that His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. He says, my ways are past finding out. Well, you get into the New Testament and Paul says these words. He says, but we have the mind of Christ. So therefore, what we need to do is when we get in and we're, we're trying to make our plans happen and we're, we're beating our heads against the wall trying to make it work and nothing seems to be working, maybe it's time for us to reach up for His plans and say, Lord, let me take hold of what it is that you have for my life so that I can be effective for your kingdom. The fire of God will bring you closer to Him. The more you get a hold of him, the more all of a sudden there is that within you that says, I need more of him. You get closer and you realize you need more. You get closer, you realize you've got to have just a little bit more of him. And that's why many times we we say, well, you know, I've got to have this or I've got to have that in life. And, you know, if I don't have this, I'm going to be unfulfilled. The problem is, is we're not spending enough time with God. Because isn't he our all in all? Isn't he the one that we always sing? We sing this little chorus from now uh, time to time. He's all I need. He's all I need. And we sing it. But do we mean it? Huh. He's all I need. But ooh, look at that. <laughs> He's all I need. But oh, here's this relationship. He's all I need, but here's that relationship. He's all I need, but here's, here's a third job that I can work and have more money to have whatever it is that I want to have. He's all I need. Is he? The closer we get to him, the more the fire burns within us, the more we'll realize we've got to have more of him. See, it's not a bad thing to want more of him. It's a good thing. Say, Lord, I need more and more of you. The fire of God will cause you to be concerned with what God is concerned about. The last couple of Tuesday nights, we've been really kind of dealing with a little bit of this topic of seeing what he sees. Hearing what he hears. 
having his eyes, beginning to see what it is that God wants you to to really see and how it is that he views the world, how he views those around us. And listen, God is infinitely concerned about you today. There is no doubt about it, but you need to realize that you are not the only one. God is concerned about those who are out there trying to find hope, trying to find help, and they're trying to find it without him, and they're not finding it. He is concerned about the lost. He is concerned about those who have never come to a place of repentance in him. He is concerned about those who are bound, those who are addicted. He is concerned about those who are on their way to hell today. The fire of God helps us to begin to be concerned about others rather than our own little world. I'm not saying today that God is not concerned about you and the troubles that you go through. But I'm here to let you know today that there is, for the most part, I think we could all simply safely say that as we sit here, there is someone out there who is worse off than we are. There are people today who are in worse off positions than we might be. And so today God is concerned about them. We need to reach higher and say, Lord, I need your concern for others in my life. I need you to fill me with your love. And another thing that we need to know about the eternal flame was that God didn't even allow naturally man-made fire to be used. Aaron's sons decided, you know what? Let's bring some of our own fire into this place. And God judged them instantly with death. Say, what a harsh judgment. No, this was a fire that was to be lit by him. And I'm here to tell you today, brothers and sisters, you can come into this building and if you walk out the same, it's not because the fire of God is not present to be able to minister to the needs of your life and to begin to consume some of the junk that shouldn't be there and refine the things that should be there. It is because we are not willing to plug in to what God wants to happen in our lives. We are going at things with our man-made fire. Man-made fire has no place in the presence of God. God wants to consume you with a divinely lit spiritual fire. And it'll change your life if you plug into it. Now what does it take to keep the fire going? That's the important question in all of this. What does it take to keep the fire going? God was the one who started the fire. But the responsibility of keeping it burning is up to you. Keeping it going is up to you. you got to plug into him. There are people who avoid their commitment to the Lord. I'm not talking about here in church. I'm talking about you avoiding your commitment to the Lord on a daily basis. The question is how do we keep this holy fire alive? It is, first of all, a careful commitment to obedience. Go back to verse 9 of chapter 6. And I want you to see this. The Bible says this, God said, give Aaron and his sons this command. They were expected to carry out the command in careful obedience. This wasn't an option. This wasn't that, you know, Aaron woke up one day and said, you know what, I don't feel like going out there and and dealing with the altar and the fire and all of that. I'm tired. God knows I've got enough going on, you know, man, my, my brother Aaron or Moses, he's just, 
you know, today he seems to be a little down and I got to go cheer him up. I got to go help him out. You don't read that in the Bible. That's our excuse. The Bible lets us know this, that God gave Aaron and his sons this command regarding the altar, regarding the fire in the altar. It required that they have a careful commitment to obedience. Obedience is one of those things that we often look at like it's a necessary evil. You know? No, obedience shouldn't be for us a necessary evil. It should be something that we joyfully and willfully accept and and do what God wants us to do. I know there are days you don't feel like coming to church. I know there are days, Sunday school teachers, you don't feel like preparing your lesson. You don't feel like teaching the lesson. I know there are days where you who are involved in other areas of the ministry of this church, you don't feel like doing it. You don't feel like showing up. You don't feel like being a part of it. But brothers and sisters, it's It's not about our feelings. It's about being committed to being obedient to what God has called us to do. Either we're going to be committed to it or we're going to back away. Now, that's the easy way. Don't think you're going to back away so easily because you're not. Amen. Look at me and smile. You know what that means, right? We're not going to let you back away so easily from what God wants you to do from being involved, from giving your best, from doing your best for God. But it required a careful obedience to what God had called them and commanded them to do. Not only did their lives depend on it, but the lives of those around them also depended on it because the sacrifices kept going and they kept burning and they kept being offered. And when people came and offered these sacrifices, they wanted to know that there was a fire that was still burning for their sacrifice to be consumed. It wasn't just because Aaron and, and, and his sons were just supposed to have some things to do. It was for others as well. You see, there are other people who are depending upon the fire of God in your life. They are depending upon the power of God working in and through your life. It's not just about you. It's about others. We obey God. The fire of God is going to continue to burn Within us, much the same way the fire continued to burn on the altar of sacrifice. The commitment has to be to obey God and not to question God or to somehow tweak what it is that God wants us to do. It requires not only a careful commitment to obedience, but also a daily dedication. Is everybody with me? You with me? A daily dedication Verse 12 of chapter 6, listen to what it says. It says, every morning the priest is to add firewood. Every morning. It wasn't once a week. It was a divinely lit fire, but it was kept going by these priests being involved in the process on a daily basis. The Bible says... Every morning, the priest is to add firewood. You see, Sunday Christians are those who lack the fire of God in their lives. If your Christianity is on Sunday is a Sunday-only Christianity, then the fire of God is soon going to die. If you are depending upon one service a week to cause you to be holy, 
to cause you to be what God wants you to be, you're sorely mistaken and missing the point. God has called you to a daily commitment. This is a daily dedication to what God wants you to do. You see, to have the fire of God burning in your life, we must do these three things. First, we've got to take up our cross. How often? Daily. This is what Jesus said. Take up your cross daily and follow him. We have to be committed to the fact that we need to die to self. You see, you've got to die to you. I have to die to me. Because more often than not, we get in the way of what God wants for us. We get in the way of what it is that God wants to do in and through us. Do you realize the amount of potential that's in this room? I don't think we do sometimes. The amount of potential for God just in this room today, right now. You say, we're not even all here. No, we have some that are out because they're ill. But I'm here to let you know the amount of potential right now in this room is amazing. If we'll get the fire of God in us. If we'll let the fire of God burn within us and take up our cross daily. Not just Sunday, daily. We not only need to take up our cross daily, but we need to daily spend time in his presence. We need to get with him. We need to get with the Lord. I realize there are relationships and there are people, family members or whatever in your life that you like to talk to on a regular basis, maybe even on a daily basis. You touch base with them and you, you, know, you, you chat and you feel a little bit better. Look, you, you need to start ringing up the Lord. You need to start coming to him and saying, Lord, I'm going to dial your number today. I'm going to talk to you. I'm feeling down and discouraged and depressed and under the weather and under, uh, under the circumstances and all the other unders there are. Lord, let me come to you and Let me find in you that one who will always stick with me and help me. Let me daily come into your presence. Because there is where the fire of God will be dispersed in your life. Live every day with the desire to please God. Paul said these words, I'm not going to be a man pleaser. I'm going to be a God pleaser. When we start worrying about what other people think about us, what other people feel about us, then we are, we are in a very, very bad position. The Lord has had to teach me, oh, he had to teach me a long time ago, not only as a pastor, but just as a, as a minister. For him, you better, you better start now not worrying about what others think of you. Because Lord knows if you do, you'll be running around and you will accomplish nothing. We have to begin to think, Lord, how do you feel about my choices, my decisions? How do you feel about the way that I'm living my life? Am I living it to please you or to please me or to please somebody else? And brothers and sisters, we've got to be men and women who will be God pleasers before we will be man pleasers. We have got to choose to please him. Not only do we need a daily dedication, but also we need fresh fuel. The Bible says they were to put the firewood on there. The firewood is something that could be consumed. It is something that would burn up. What is it in our lives that is fresh fuel? There is, first of all, a soft heart. A soft heart is the kind of heart that is concerned with what God's heart feels. 
A soft heart says, Lord, I want to feel what you feel. The soft-hearted person is willing to feel what God feels no matter how difficult things may be. It is that heart that reaches out to him and says, Lord, please fill me with your desires. Let me feel what you feel. Fill me with compassion. Fill me with that which burns for those that are lost and those that are hurting. But here's something else that also is fresh fuel. And it is a teachable heart. A teachable heart is the heart that's willing to take his yoke upon you and learn from him. Learn from him because the last part of that says, for I, Jesus said, I am meek and I'm lowly in heart. You know, we have to be very careful that we don't walk around with so much pride in our lives that we refuse to be taught. That we don't walk around with so much in our lives that says, you know, I got it together. I got everything together. And you know what? Praise God, I've been with the Lord these 20, 100 years. You know, I've been saved longer than, you know, pastor, you've been alive. Great. But do you have a humble heart? Do you have enough humility to still be taught? And I'm not talking about being taught from me. I'm sure you could probably teach me things I've never heard of. But I'm here to let you know that when it comes to the presence of the Lord, we have to come to him, not telling God what it is that we're going to do, but saying, Lord, let me learn from you. Let me learn from being in your presence of what it is that you want me to do. Let me have that fresh fuel, that that teachable heart, that teachable spirit that says I'm willing to do what you want me to do. And I'm willing to learn from you, Lord. One final thing that we need to see about this what the purpose of the fire was. What purpose did the fire serve? What purpose? Well, first of all, it was to consume the sacrifice. People would bring the sacrifices to the priest. The priest would offer it. And they would watch that spotless lamb They would watch those doves. They would watch those things be consumed on the altar. The more more elaborate offerings, the, the bulls and all of that that was being offered, they would watch the fire consume that which they brought to the Lord. And there are times in our lives when we have to reach deep within us and we have to find those things in our lives that should be consumed. We think that we've got to hang on to some things. No, we need to offer it to the Lord and say, Lord, you take it. If there's something in my life that shouldn't be there, consume it. You see, the sacrifice was that which was presented before the Lord as an offering for their sin. It represented their sin. Sin was not something that they were to walk around with. It wasn't something that they were supposed to just on a continual basis. Well, you know, God understands. Look, we, we, are you as tired of hearing that as an excuse as I am? God understands. No, God wants to consume things in our lives. There are things present within us that should not be there. And the fire of God, if we will allow him to, he will consume it and remove it from us so that we will be holy and pleasing to him. Some of us ignore what scripture says simply so we can have things our way. 
Brothers and sisters, you need to be very careful that you do not ignore what the Bible says about how you need to live as a Christian just so that you can have it your way. No, it's not about you. It's about what God wants you to be in this world. The world can look at the church today, and in many cases, they look at the church and individuals in the church, and they say, they're living no different than I'm living. Why would I even want what you have? It's got to be different. And the only way it can be different is for the fire of God to consume what should not be there. What does not look like Christ. It's got to be consumed. The purpose of the fire was not only to consume, but it was to cleanse. You see, the fire of God removes the impurities in our lives. When he does this, we will be clean. You might come to God and the Holy Spirit will begin to point things out in your life that shouldn't be there. You say, oh God, not that. And he says, oh yeah, we're going to deal with that today. You know, it's like going out to the woodshed. I know we didn't have, you don't have woodsheds here in the city. Probably never did. We didn't have woodsheds. We had wood piles growing up. I grew up in a part of the, part of the country where eventually they realized it was a whole lot cheaper to burn wood through the winter than it was to burn oil. And every, every winter, uh, every fall, I'd be out there with my dad, and we'd be splitting wood, and we'd put it into our basement. But the woodshed, for those who grew up in the country, signified a place that when Daddy took you there and Mama took you there, you didn't want to go because you knew the woodshed meant discipline. It meant a little bit of pain. Every now and then, God has to remove some impurities from our life. And it doesn't feel good. It's, it, it hurts. We don't like it. But God is dealing with us. He is trying to get us to the place of absolute surrender to Him so that we can be fully and completely clean. You see, it is that process of the, of, of the fire that comes to our lives that burns the impurities. And as you know, we know how precious metals become more precious, you have to apply the fire and, and all of a sudden the, the impurities in that precious metal begin to, to surface to the top. And there that goldsmith begins to, or silversmith, either one, they begin to, to scrape those impurities off, off the top of that liquid metal that has just being purified under that fire, that intense heat, it comes. And all of those things that shouldn't be there begin to surface and come out and it's painful and it hurts and it's frustrating. But God is working something in your life so that your faith, as Peter says, will be of more worth than gold. It doesn't feel good, but it needs to happen. The purpose of the fire is to cleanse us. The last reason... We need the fire of God in our lives is to consecrate us, set us apart. No other nation could claim that their God ever answered by fire. And yet that wasn't the purpose that God sent the fire. It wasn't so that Israel could boast about the fact, hey, listen, our God answers by fire. Does yours? We know, we remember the scene of Elijah up on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. Prophets of Baal jumping around all day long, screaming and shouting and doing all kinds of crazy things, cutting themselves, trying to get Baal to answer by fire. And all day long, they went on and on and on, and nothing happened. Nothing could be accomplished. Why? Because their God didn't answer by fire. Their God didn't answer at all. And Elijah gets up there and he says, all right, fellas, my turn. And he says, come on, bring the offering. Bring the sacrifice. Put it on the altar. Now bring some water. 
Great fuel for fire, right? Bring some water. Pour it over the altar. Bring more buckets. Pour it in. Dig a moat around the thing. And the water ran down and and the water was collected in the moat. The sacrifice was saturated by water. The Bible lets us know that he prayed a very short prayer. And fire came out of heaven. And this fire consumed not only the offering on the altar. It consumed the offering and the stones that made the altar. That's intense heat. Not only did it consume the stones, it licked up all the fire that, or all the water that would have been poured over that was in the moat around the altar. That fire came out of heaven. But I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, it wasn't so that Elijah could walk away and say, See, told you. My God answers by fire, yours doesn't. It wasn't for that purpose. No, it was to set them apart. They had a divine fire with them that was constantly burning. But this was for a purpose. It wasn't so they could boast that God did this thing. Listen, when the fire fell at Pentecost, it wasn't to make a Pentecostal denomination, though I'm part of one. It wasn't to make all these different labels. It was to be. Pentecostal. It was to live in a way that would cause the fire of God to always be evident in your life. The fire of Pentecost fell, brothers and sisters. It was to change those disciples and those people that met in that upper room. So as as it was said of them, they turned the world upside down. It was to cause them to be what God wanted them to be in a world that was desperately lost and without any kind of hope. It was to give them the power to be effective for the kingdom of God. Not so that they could walk around with their heads held high saying we've got some theological core that you don't have and you don't know about and you haven't experienced. It wasn't to create some kind of pride, brothers and sisters. It was to be effective in the world that we live in. We need the fire of God. We need it more than than anything. I look at some of you today and I, I don't know your situation because you haven't told me. But I know this. I know that there are things going on in your lives that have created distractions from being what God wants you to be. There are things, ways that you're living or ways that you're choosing in life that, that are slowly beginning to choke the fire out. And unless we are careful, that fire will die within us. The fire that can be so powerful and effective in and through us that will bring about change in our homes, that will bring about change in our workplaces, that will bring about change in the places where you you live and you move on a daily basis and people that you meet. Brothers and sisters, those people need to know Jesus. Those people are lost without Christ. And so it is so that you will be effective. I know there are great needs around us, things that sometimes we don't feel like we have the ability to really reach and minister to. But I'm here to let you know you can be like Peter and John walking up to that lame man who was begging at the, at the gate beautiful as they were going to the temple. And they said, we don't have any silver or gold, but what we have, we're going to give to you. Why? Because they had the fire of God burning within them and they had something that they could give out. We need the fire of God. Can we bow our heads?